Hello everyone, I am Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends and sisters to do the same. This episode is part of a special series highlighting our sisters in small business. I grew up in a family who owned and operated a small business, and I partner with my husband to do the same. Every day brings a new adventure, and I am so excited to share this series featuring our sisters in small business as they share their inspiration, their challenges, their success, and their advice for anyone looking to start a side hustle or branch out on their own. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to my next conversation. Hello, Melanie. Hi, Crystal. How are you? I'm well. You're busy. You're really busy today. We have been very busy. So, Melanie, you are an AOPI, you are a woman in small business, you are someone who has reinvented life as we know it, and this will kick off our Sisters in Small Business series. So let me officially say welcome, thank you, and For this conversation, I would, as I do with all of my guests, like us to start at the beginning with your AOPI story. Great. Uh, um, Thanks for having me. I'd love to tell the story. Uh, I transferred to San Jose State as a junior, and at home, my friends had joined sororities, and I did not understand why they were wearing pearls sometimes had to wear all white to school and could only drink beer out of a glass because I was pretty good at drinking it out of something else by then because I was 23. I was also an old junior when I transferred so I was allowed to drink legally Um, but I didn't understand any of these things and so I went through recruitment to figure out what this was all about and I, um, I really had a good experience the first couple days I enjoyed the women that I met at AOPI and another house, but I um, can't remember what it's called, but I was dropped by every house, but the one I absolutely wouldn't join, and um, I just didn't feel a connection there at all, and uh, AOPI came and snap bid me. Uh, They got a Russian fraction for it, and I joined AOPI, and it was really my first choice so I was really fortunate that I guess it happened the way that it did um so that's the beginning of the story and (laughs) I uh wanted to be the um academic I wanted to be the scholarship chair but I wasn't initiated yet and so I begged to be the scholarship chair and be able to run for that office before I was even initiated because I was in the very first pledge class after we had longer pledge class. Uh, I should know all this really more quickly, Um, but the pledge period had become longer just before I joined. So I had to wait a whole semester to be initiated. Same. 
So I was a little bit more mature. I pledged, like I said, I pledged at 23. So they allowed me to take uh, on scholarship chair my first semester. Wow. And I held office continually until graduation. Um, and then I have held the offices of COB chair. Uh, actually, vice president, I was COB advisor. I was recruitment advisor. I was chapter advisor, all at Delta Sigma. Mm-hmm. I then left the area and joined an alumni group in Southern California where I was the alumni liaison. I was then the alumni chapter president there. Somewhere in there, I started advising Lambda Beta at Cal State Long Beach. I moved back to the Bay Area and was the San Jose uh, chapter, alumni chapter president for a little while. I've also been a network specialist uh, development and oversaw the continued development of the Lambda Alpha chapter at University of Laverne until they were put into the network structure. I was also an international volunteer as a recruitment training ambassador, which was one of my most favorite roles. And there's, I think the fastest you can put 20 years of volunteer experience (laughs) and membership. So I have to ask, when you were initiated and understood the significance of the white and the pearls and the all the things that were traditions in your chapter did you have that aha moment and go oh <laughs> this i i definitely did well it yeah. seems and like it stuck <laughs> right well i guess you did 20 years and all of those titles later so Melanie, I always love for our listeners to hear the background of how you came to be an AOPI, which I love that AOPI was your first choice. Obviously, I love this, but that when it didn't initially work out, that you gave it the opportunity to be everything you wanted it to be. I think that's pretty amazing. And to run for an office before you're initiated? Okay, so so it makes a lot of other things we're about to talk about make a whole lot of sense. You are obviously an ambitious woman. Um, when we talk about life outside of AOPI, um, or I guess I should really say in addition to, you have reinvented your entire world. And that is actually the focus of this series of our women um, in business, but particularly our sisters in small business. So I would love for you to also share that story. Uh, Let's see, AOPI is part of it for sure. Uh, I've said for a long time, joining AOPI is the best decision I ever made. I learned more, uh, I'll tell students that I've worked with, that I learned more outside of class in college than I did in class because I was learning from my sisters all of the time. And I'd never had a leadership role. I'd never even shown interest before the opportunity with AOPI. Um, So uh, that was the beginning, but I've also learned so much by being a volunteer, 
my supervising volunteers, supervising volunteers and supervising employees are completely different things. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think the, the and it, a really interesting point where I was having a leadership role in AOPI and helping develop something new, and I was really working with the chapter at Laverne. Um, I was also working for San Joaquin Valley College in Southern California, and I was the director of a brand new campus. And so I was building something new that needed a strong culture and needed the right people in the place in both of my roles, and they really came together really well. Um, both of those roles ended about the same time. Um, at the time, it just so happens that I was getting a divorce. Um, my dad was ill and passed, and it was, um, and I lost the job with San Joaquin Valley College. Um, it came to an end, and I loved it. I loved everything about my role there, um, but it was time to do something else. And I had moved away from San Jose where my sisters were, where I knew I had friends and a network, and I went back uh, to San Jose, and I lived with one of my pledge sisters and her mother for a couple of years um, to get back on my feet and find a new role, um, and that happened to be at my alma mater. I got to be the learning specialist for the football team at San Jose State for three years, which was also really interesting because professionally, I took a step or two or three down. Um, I'd been supervising the people who supervised people who worked with students, and now I was back working directly with students. It was a really great opportunity to see how the leadership really impacts the, the line workers, the people who were doing the work, because now I was doing the work, and I could really see these situations that I'd put my people in prior um, or maybe I didn't hire the right person or I gave them too much responsibility or not enough direction and they would struggle. So it's, it's tough to go backwards and I can see why people don't want to hire someone who's overqualified for a job because they struggle. I really did. Um, but we'll fast forward a little bit and I met a wonderful man who is a great partner and he was listening on our first date when I said if I could change my career again, I wanted to own a bakery. And two years later to the day, he was visiting family in South Carolina, found a building for sale, and asked me to move across the country with him. And you said yes. <laughs> and I said yes. We hadn't even left the airport property yet. <laughs> and so... Now, I live in Georgetown, South Carolina. We have opened a bakery together, and I get to bake and make cookies, and I made the first sculpted-themed cake uh, today. Oh. We've been open for about a year and a half, so I am baker, owner, manager. Um, we listened to the community. Um, so really, back up a tiny bit, but... We moved into a really small town. The whole town is only 9,000 people, and we're in an area that has a lot of poverty. But we also are in the historic waterfront district, 
And so if you go to the cute downtown, that's where the bakery is and that's where we live. And so it can be supported, um, my little business. But there had been a bakery here for about 20 years and they closed uh, for remodel and decided not to open. A lot of the buildings on the street are over 200 years old. And so lots of remodel was required and they decided not to reopen their place. So they developed this need in town for a bakery and then they left a hole for me to slide right into. Uh, They also had prepared foods and breads and wine. So we opened a second store within a year and are filling that need. Wow. So let's back up for just one minute because it it is, yes, it is a lot. And, and you shared that story so seamlessly. You had these three really significant life-changing events with, you know, a divorce, the passing of a parent, a job that you loved no longer being available to you. And then you were like, and then I met this man and we had a great idea and we moved across the country. I have to ask you, surely there were moments of hesitation and sleepless nights and, oh my goodness, how are we going to eat kind of thoughts? There, there were, um, one of my first questions to him was, what if I'm, what if I'm too scared to open the bakery? He already had the whole financial plan. We own the building. So the bakery pays rent to him, which is income to it all works, but I didn't see that whole picture yet. Um, and so I said, what if I'm too scared to do it? said, eh, I'll put a coffee shop in it. <laughs> okay. Sure. And that wouldn't have worked because the people here don't drink that much coffee. So we wanted to put Phil's here. It would have tanked. Um, I, I was, I guess at this point in my life, I was so secure in our as secure as you can be in a relationship. I mean, I'd just gotten divorced. Um, and that relationship lasted a long time. I mean, it wasn't like I was married for three years. I was married for more than 10 before uh, I asked him to leave. Um, and uh, so it was scary. And people asked me, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, go get a job. They have a small community college that's similar to what I've done. I was working for the worst football team in the division tied with the team here. So it wasn't <laughs> like I was going to go ask Clemson to be their learning specialist. I could go to Coastal Carolina. They're just as bad as San Jose State. Sorry, Delta Sigma. love your people. You know I love my boys, but they're not a great team. Um, I just – I'll do something else. So I love – And the date – the days were hard when I lost that job and I was living in a place where it was not going to be where I was going to stay. I didn't have friends and it was don't even mourn this job that you just lost. You just put one foot in front of the other and you do that every day and you just keep doing it until you get somewhere else. And, um, 
one of the opportunities that I think really helped um, in my AOPI role, I was uh, already registered to go to the AFLV conf- uh, conference in San Diego. And one of the sessions I attended was led by a life coach. And I reached out to her, I introduced myself there and then I reached out to her after and she offered me a free session. And that session with her just changed my perspective because instead of waiting for a new job, I just called my sister in San Jose and I said, can I come live with you until I figure this out? And she and her mom were like, yeah, we'll get the room ready. So I love that you had the courage to not be afraid. I mean, we talk a lot about that as women and it's interesting and I don't know where I heard it or read it, but that women, even women with financial security always, and I'm saying always, I'm sure that's dramatic, but that women, even with financial security, constantly worry about not Having. They could have six figures in a savings account and still worry that they would not be able to eat one day. Whereas our male counterparts don't necessarily have that same pull on their heart, minds, consciences. What makes us different, I do not know. But I have found in my conversations with women and our sisters, especially those of us who are in small business, that it is very often true that we we worry even when we have everything seemingly together, at least that we think it is. So I love that you had the courage to step outside of it even when we when you didn't have all the answers ready, if that makes any sense. So the next question then has to be, why Bailey insightful question and then we were disconnected (laughs) no so now that we are back I was just sharing that even women who have all of their financial plans seemingly in place worry and I I love that you took that leap even with the unknowns and had that courage but now I have to ask you you've you've had this education career and you said that you wanted to become a baker those two things are not the same so (laughs) so please tell me how we make this jump (laughs) so I would bake a little bit on the side um but not nearly as much as I wanted to because then there'd be a cake at my house and that's not okay. There were two of us. <laughs> not okay to have a whole cake. Um, so I was working with the freshman football players and they were taking that class that gives them a uh, career aptitude test. And they would come back and share the results and you know they think they're going to be NFL players and what were your results? Oh, I'm going to be, it says I'm going to be a farmer. I'm going to be a farmer. Maybe you should consider it because I had had a moment one day in one of those conversations that in high school, my top career suggestion was baker. And I completely dismissed it 
because at the time, I mean, it was like 86 because I'm old. And um, sorry, anybody listening who's older, but feeling old. And um, there was no food. The food industry was not what it is today. Who knew about Food Network? I mean, if I'd followed that, at the time I thought, I'm not making bread for the grocery store. That was all I knew about baking. Um, But I could be a Food Network star now, but I'm not. So I put those things together and I can walk in and out of a bakery and not buy anything. I just like to look at all of it. I can go in and out of a candy store and not buy anything. I just like to look at it. I mean, if you've seen me, you know I indulge a little at least, but, um, and now I can make it and enjoy it and give it to other people. And it's a way, um, I love people. That's the other thing that I love. And so to be a part of people's special occasions, I mean, we've delivered during the, the COVID quarantine, which is what we've just gone through. Um, we were delivering birthday cakes because people couldn't be with their loved ones for their birthday, but I could know that no one else touched their cake and deliver it to their house. And it was protected and safe. Um, we delivered 12 dozen cookies on Good Friday um, to the coaches of this softball league that's for um, kids with mental and physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. And once I realized who we were delivering to, it just was the greatest opportunity. And so to be a part of people's special occasions like this or to have this tiny, tiny little town come to us for their treats, it's so much more than just baking and um, so I don't know it was yeah it's very different and you talked about financial resources and um people who know me know that I don't have them I I got I gotta work and I gotta make it work and if you follow my work um this is another story, but I hashtag my indigo all the time because this is, like I said, that's a longer story, but this is my indigo. This has to work. This has to be successful. There is no failure option. We're here and it's working and it has to. Well, and indigo is the name of your bakery, correct? It is the name of our bakery. It is the name of the Mercantile, which is a little grocery store across the street from the bakery. And it is the name of our Airbnb that will have its first guest tonight in a newly renovated space above the bakery. Wow. So, so is there a history behind the name Indigo? There is. Um, it was the first thing I learned about Georgetown. The first day I was here, um, the day we decided to move here, uh, most people think that uh, the Carolinas and this part of the Carolinas were wealthy and significant for producing rice. But at the same time, Eliza Lucas was put in charge of three plantations in 1735. She was 16 years old. And she knew about indigo because they'd come from the West Indies and she knew that to make her plantations um, financially supporting her family she needed to grow something else and so she she successfully brought indigo 
to South Carolina, harvested it. Hers was graded better than what was coming out of France. And because of indigo, South Carolina became the wealthiest of the colonies for a time. So for did pe- work. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say for people who don't know what indigo is, it's a plant. There are lots of varieties of it, and when you harvest it correctly, you get a dye that in most cases is green, and once your fabric is in the dye and then oxidizes immediately after it comes out, it turns blue, and navy uniforms for the navy were dyed with indigo. I did not know this. So let me ask you this. Walk us through a day in the life of you. Uh, Let's see. We don't break bread, so I don't have to get up at 2 a.m. I get to sleep in a little bit. We're a bakery that bakes all day instead of all night because I wanted a normal schedule and to be able to be with my great guy. So... I'm also fortunate enough that I have great people and a great team, so I get to work out every morning. Um, So about 7 o'clock right now because we're opening late, uh, we get up and we start getting our pastries ready and pull cookie dough out of the refrigerator to come to temperature, and it can be baked. We proof uh, three different types of pastries and then start the baking schedule, and then I leave and I go do Zumba or whatever I'm told to do so that I can keep my sanity and work out. (laughs) And right about the time I come back, the shop is open, Um, pastries are coming out, cookies are coming out, the coffee's made, and I jump into whatever specialty cake is on the agenda. I'm really the finisher and the manager, so I decorate cupcakes. I do a lot of royal icing sugar cookies. This morning, I finished uh, a cake that was in the shape of a um, bourbon bottle. So yesterday, I baked the cake, made the filling, made the frosting, sculpted the cake, rolled and colored and laid the fondant. Um, Let's see. I will go to the mercantile across the street, check on the staff, check on the kitchen. I manage... Um, very hands-off, but I manage the kitchen at the Mercantile. We have our own commercial kitchen that prepares prepares all the prepared food that goes in the front of the house. Um, Touch base with those people and make sure everything's fine. Um, Right now, I'm conducting interviews. There are a couple young women in the area that are interested in doing what I do, so I'm looking for the one that I'm willing to mentor. Uh... We'll go back, check stock in the bakery, see what else needs to be baked off. Today we made more brownies and cookies. It's been a busier day than expected. Um, and make sure the dishes are getting washed and <laughs> the customers are well taken care of. Uh, about five o'clock, we'll pull out some of the pastries for the next day, check the schedule, clean up, and then figure out what to make ourselves for dinner. So how many people are a part of your team that you work with on a daily basis? Uh, The bakery has two employees. Mm -hmm. I have a full-time baker, and then I have 
a wonderful woman who will do absolutely anything up front. She's amazing with the customers. She will clean the bathroom and not even tell me that it needed to be cleaned. She just goes and does it. She cleans the front. She does the dishes, all of that. Um, and I needed somebody like that. And anyway, sometimes you don't even know how you find them. You just know when you found them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the Mercantile, we have three women who work in the kitchen. And we have currently just two people who run the front of the store. So there are about eight. A couple people um, have been out since the pandemic started. Um, they have at-risk family members or kids. So probably a total of nine employees, but only like seven that we're dealing with right now. And then um, myself and Michael, my partner and everything. So I would normally ask what is next for you, except that I think it's to welcome your guests to the new Airbnb (laughs) in real life. Let me ask you this. For anyone who is looking for that change or seeking inspiration or preparing to take that leap of courage, what advice would you have for them? If it's something you believe you can do, just do it. Use, I use so many skills that I learned from other people and and in other roles to do this. For instance, uh, we had partners when the mercantile started and I strongly suggested that I be the hiring manager because I hired a hundred people to work on my college campus within six months. Um, I interviewed student candidates. I mean, I've interviewed and hired more people than any of the rest of them had. And I've learned who belongs in what role. You need, you'll have a skill that comes to the top that is really valuable. And you might just wind up using it in a different way than you imagined. I started at Nordstrom the customer service philosophy there is what I try to teach and implement um, in our stores now. So um, there are ways to get to do all the things that you want to do, whether you get paid for them or you're volunteering. So when there's something that really strikes you that that's the thing, do it. I love that. Now, share with us how to find you and your companies. I would be happy to. Uh, You could come to Georgetown, South Carolina, which is adorable. We are actually in competition right now to be the number one small coastal town in America. Last year we were number four. The year before we were number one. Um, If so, it's adorable here. We're on the Grand Strand, halfway between Myrtle Beach and Charleston, or Facebook (laughs) Indigo Bakery. Or Instagram at Indigo Bakery Treats. And we have a website, which is indigobakerycafe.com. I love all of these things. Now, I will ask you one last thing. When you are not baking, what is your favorite treat?
That's taking far too long to answer. It's taking <laughs> far too long because I don't really let myself eat that. Right now it's watermelon. If I could eat anything in the bakery, it'd be a coconut cream cheese cookie. Oh. And I love chocolate. I love all these things and I would eat a coconut cream cheese cookie. <laughs> I love food. Yes. Melanie. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having this conversation with me, sharing your life experience with our sisters, and I look forward to all that you will be doing and to following you for the rest of this journey. And for all of you out there listening, as always, thank you, and until next time, stay safe and be well. Mm-hmm.